All right, let's end cat and get it on. I never really explained the title of this podcast, but I just thought it's nice and catchy. Um, so let's get into social processes, attitudes, and behavior. Hopefully, this one is a lot lighter than the last couple ones have been in terms of content and understanding, and also like length because they've been real long lately. So let's get into it. So, um, the Michelangelo phenomenon is mentioned up here. So a sculptor simply releases and uncovers the ideal figures that are hidden within stone. So the concept of self is made up of both the interpersonal self, the ideas that an individual has regarding his or her own abilities, traits, and beliefs, and the interpersonal self, the manner in which others influence in creation of the ideal self. So in this phenomenon, a close relationship between two individuals sculpts both individuals' skills and traits. And this development occurs because of each individual perception, each individual's perceptions of the other and their behaviors in response to one another. So let's get started. So group psychology. So um, Max Weber was one of the first sociologists to study this interaction between social processes. Um, he describes social action, which he defined as actions and behaviors that individuals are performing or modulating because others are around. Um, humans will behave in different ways based on their social environment and how their behavior will affect those around them. And social action should be contrasted with social interaction. Um, so it has been observed that people will tend to perform better on simple tasks when in the presence of others. So this is social facilitation and it supports the idea that people naturally exhibit a performance response when they know that they're being watched. Um, according to the Yerkes-Dodson law of social facilitation, being in the presence of others will significantly raise arousal, which enhances the ability to perform tasks one is already good at, or simple tasks, and hinders the performance of less familiar tasks, which is complex tax- tasks. Um, so social facilitation reflects the idea that performance is not solely influenced by individual ability, but also by social environment and awareness of that environment. <laughs> So there's de-individuation, which is the loss of one's self-awareness in a group setting and the associated adoption of a more group-oriented identity. So this is called mob mentality, too. Um, it's where individuals of the group lose their own sense of morals and ethics and adopt the mob mentality. So there's group cohesion and individual anonymity, anonymity as factors impacting de-individuation. Um, if somehow the individual can relate to the group, then the likelihood of the person adopting the group identity increases. And group settings increase anonymity and diffuse a sense of individual responsibility for the actions of the group. So this often leads to anti-normative behavior, which is not socially acceptable in most social circumstances and against the norm. And yeah, large homogenous groups are postulated to increase de-individuation effects, especially when relative anonymity is a factor due to the group size. So... Then there's the bystander effect. So it's um, in social groups where individuals do not intervene to assist those who are in perceived need when other people are present, and the likelihood and timeliness of response is inversely related to the number of bystanders. So the more people standing by, the less likely any one of those people is to help. Um, so first, in groups, people are less likely to notice danger or anything out of the ordinary. And when they're in groups, human takes humans take cues from others. So if other people aren't responding, then an individual is less likely to perceive the situation as a threat or an emergency. And the degree of emergency or the perceived danger plays a role in response. Um, So in low danger scenarios, bystanders are less likely to provide aid and in high danger than they will be 
more likely to intervene. And also, it's like it depends on the degree of responsibility felt by the bystander, depending on their competency and their relationship to the at-risk individual and whether they consider the person at risk to be deserving of aid. And then also, cohesiveness of the group has been shown to influence responsiveness. Um, social loafing refers to the tendency of individuals to reduce effort when in a group setting. So this can imply in a lot of contexts like physical effort, mental effort, initiative. Um, and then there's peers who are individuals who are equals within a social group. And peer pressure refers to the social influence placed on an individual by one's peers. It exists at all ages and can come in many forms. So like religion, appearance, values, and sexual behavior, it can be positive or negative. And, excuse me, um, in adolescence, they play a very important role in determining the lifestyle, appearance, and social activities. Um, and they can, the pressure caused, exerted by peers, can cause changes in behavior, attitudes, or beliefs to conform to the norms of the group. And stress and the presence of peers can lead to poor choices and facilitate risky behaviors like binge eating, reckless driving, and violent activities. Changes in belief and behavior due to peer pressure can be explained by the identity shift effect. So... When an individual state of harmony is disrupted by a threat of social projection, the individual will conform to the norms of the group, and then upon doing so, they'll experience internal conflict because the behavior is outside their normal character, and then to eliminate this, they'll have an identity shift um, to adopt the standards of the group as their own. And this also highlights a larger theme, which is cognitive dissonance, which is a simultaneous presence of two opposing thoughts or opinions, and this leads to an internal state of discomfort, which may manifest as anxiety, fear, anger, or confusion. And individuals will try to reduce this discomfort by changing, adding to, or minimizing one of these dissonant thoughts. Um, so then we have Solomon Osh's conformity experience, which showed that individuals will often conform to an opinion held by the group. So they had male college students participate in simple tasks, and they wanted to see if the behavior of the individual was influenced by confederates. Um, and it was. So individuals will sometimes provide answers that they know to be untrue if it avoids going against the group. So the urge towards conformity can outweigh the desire to provide the right answer. Um, so social interaction explores the ways in which two or more individuals can both shape each other's behavior. So this can be group processes and um, establishment of culture. So there's group, group polarization, which is a tendency for groups to collaboratively make decisions that are more extreme than the individual ideas and inclinations of the members within the group. So polarization can lead to riskier or more cautious decisions based on the initial tendencies of the group members toward risk or caution. So this has shown that individuals in the group will form opinions that are more extreme than the opinions that they would reach in isolations. Oh no, I'm going to sneeze. Let me pause. Okay, so where were we at? So, group polarization. So it's the tendency for groups to collaboratively make decisions that are more extreme than the individual ideas. Um, initial ideas tend not to be extreme, but through the decision by the group, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is called risky shift because it was noted that groups tended to make riskier decisions than individuals, but then they realized that the groups could shift towards caution. The term became choice shift. So there's similar concepts between group polarization and choice shift, but choice shift refers specifically to measure changes in decisions before and after group interaction, whereas group polarization refers more generally to the tendency of a group to move towards more extreme conclusions and decisions as a result of interaction. So group polarization explains many real-life scenarios, um, like in juries, in policymaking, in terrorism. And we have groupthink, which is a social phenomenon in which desire for harmony or conformity results in a group of people coming to an incorrect or poor decision um, in an attempt to eliminate or minimize conflict among the group members. 
So um, this causes a loss of independent critical thinking. The group begins to isolate and ignore external viewpoints, seeing its own ideas as correct without question. Um, let's see. Irving Janis looked at this, um, and they examined eight factors that are ind indicative of groupthink. Um, so illusion of invulnerability, so members encourage risks, ignore possible pitfalls, and are too optimistic. Collective rationalization, the members ex ignore express concerns about group approved ideas. Illusion of morality, members believe ideas produced by the group are moral morally and ethically correct, disregarding evidence to the contrary. Excessive stereotyping, they construct stereotypes of those expressing outside opinions. Pressure for conformity, they feel pressured not to express opinions that disagree with the group and view opposition as disloyal. Self-censorship, so members withhold ideas and opinions that disagree with the group, and illusion of unanimity, which is where members believe the decisions and the judgments of the group to be without discriminant, even if it does, even if it does exist. And then mind guards, some members may decide to take a role protecting the group against opposing views. So, there's that. Um, this can also underlie cultural phenomena, including riots, fads, and mass hysteria. Um, a fad is a behavior that is transiently viewed as popular and desirable by a large community, and they can include owning certain objects or engaging in certain behaviors or engaging in particular types of media. And then mass hysteria refers to a shared intense concern about the threats to society. So many features of groupthink lead to a shared illusion that is augmented by distrust, rumors, propaganda, and fear-mongering. Then we have culture, which is defined as the beliefs, behaviors, actions, and characteristics of a group or society of people. And it's learned by living within a society, observing behaviors and traits, and adopting them. It's also passed down from generation to generation. So while a cultured individual is often thought of as someone who has knowledge of the arts and inexpensive and expensive taste. <laughs> what am I saying? Um, sociology considers all people to be cultured living within a society and participating in its culture. So it's universal throughout humanity. Um, and cultural differences include everything from jobs um, and the beliefs held by an individual are based on their learned behavior, expectations, and pressure from the group one is in. Um, so when traveling outside of one's own society, these cultural differences can seem quite dramatic and are often referred to as culture shock. Cultural assimilation is a process by which an individual's group or groups' behavior and culture begin to resemble that of another group. So this can mean that groups with different cultures begin to merge. Assimilation integrates new aspects of society and old ones, transforming the culture itself. While one society melts into another, it is typically not an even blend. And assimilation can be slowed by the creation of ethnic enclaves, which are locations with a high concentration of one specific ethnicity. And these are most common in urban areas and have names like Chinatown or Little Italy. Then we have multiculturalism, known as cultural diversity, referring to communities or societies containing multiple cultures or ethnic groups. It encourages, respects, and celebrates cultural differences and can enhance acceptance of cultures within society, with which contrasts with the concept of assimilation. So it's like a cultural mosaic. Um, and then assimil assimilationism is described as creating a melting pot. Some cultures refer to groups of people within a culture that distinguish themselves from the primary culture to which they belong. So symbolic attachment to things like clothing or music can differentiate the group, and they can be formed based on race, gender, ethnicity, sexuality, and other differentiating factors. And then there is counterculture, where the subculture group gravitates toward an identity that is at odds with the majority culture and deliberately opposes the prevailing social mores. Alright, so now we're going to go into socialization. So this is the process of developing, inheriting, and spreading norms, customs, and beliefs. 
individuals gain the knowledge, skills, and habits and behaviors that are necessary for inclusion in society. So beliefs, customs, and cultural norms are often passed down from one generation to another within a society in a process called cultural transmission or cultural learning. And then the spread of norms, customs, and beliefs from one culture to another can also occur called cultural diffusion. Primary socialization occurs during childhood when we initially learn acceptable actions and attitudes in our society through observation of our parents and other adults in close proximity. Secondary socialization is the process of learning appropriate behavior within smaller sections of the larger society, so this occurs outside of the home, and is based on learning of rules in specific social environments. And it's associated with adolescents and adults and includes smaller changes and refinements to behavior that was already established in primary socialization. Anticipatory socialization is the process by which a person prepares for future changes in occupations, living situations, or relationships. And re-socialization is another process by which one discards old behaviors in favor of new ones, typically through intensive retraining, and can have positive or negative connotations. There are norms, which are societal rules that define the boundaries of acceptable behavior, mores, which are widely observed social norms. Um, there are, there's, while norms are not laws, they do provide a mechanism for regulating behavior of individuals and groups and serve as a means of social control. Um, penalties for misconduct or rewards for appropriate behavior are called sanctions, and they can be used to maintain social control. Um, so negative sanctions, obviously. Punish behaviors that deviate and positive. Reward them that comply. Um, they can be formal or informal, so formal sanctions are enforced by formal social institutions like governments or employers and can include receiving a promotion or jail sentence. Um, informal sanctions are enforced by social groups, so they might be include like being allowed to sit at a table. Um, then there's what is taboo, which is socially unacceptable, disgusting, or reprehensible. And then there are folkways, which are norms that refer to behavior that is considered polite in particular social interactions, like shaking hands after a sports match. Um, any agent, any part of a society that is important when learning social norms and values is called an agent of socialization. So like for children, the primary agents of socialization are parents or family members. Um, and the media is an important agent of socialization. So through their influence on what's accepted within a particular society, there's pop culture, which is common trends and beliefs prevalent at a given point in time. Um, and then deviance refers to any violation of norms, rules, or expectations within a society. So in the sociological context, it's like any act that goes against societal norms, and it can vary in severity. Um, and it includes any act that meets with disapproval from the larger society. Then there's social stigma, which is the extreme disapproval or dislike of a person or group based on perceived differences from the rest of society. So these deviations from the norm can include differences in beliefs, abilities, behaviors, and appearance, medical conditions. And stigma can also spread to affect others who are associated with the particular individual. And it evolves over time. Um, so these... Deviance, stigmatization, and reputation are linked with labeling theory, so this posits that the labels given to a person affect not only how others respond to that person, but also that person's self-image. They can lead to channeling of behavior into deviance or conformity. Um, and internalizing a label and assuming a rule implied by the label may lead to the assumed rule taking over a person's identity, known as role engulfment. 
according to differential association theory, deviance, like criminal behavior, can be learned through interactions with others. So with intimate exposure to others who engage in deviant behavior leaves the groundwork for one to engage in deviant behavior him or herself. And this person will likely also come into contact with norm-abiding individuals, but then differential association is the degree to which one is surrounded by ideals that adhere to social norms versus ideals that go against them. So this is someone who's like fallen into the wrong group. And then there's strain theory, which is attempting to explain deviance as a natural reaction to the disconnect between social goals and social structure. So that um, conformity is matching one's attitudes, beliefs, behaviors and to group or societal norms. So conformity is also known as majority influence. Normative conformity is a desire to fit into a group because of fear of rejection. Internalization involves changing one's behavior to fit with a group and while also privately agreeing with the ideas of the group. Identification refers to the outward acceptance of others' ideas without personally taking on these ideas. And an experiment looking at this was the Phillips and Barter Sanford Prison Experiment. Um, there were basically guards who became violent and internalized their roles and were shocked by their behavior. And Compliance is a change in behavior based on direct request, so the person or group will ask the individual to make a change. They usually don't have any power or authority to command the individual, but they'll ask them to change his behavior. Um, there's the foot-in-the-door technique that is used to gain compliance, which is a small request, and then after gaining compliance, a larger request is made. There's the door-in-the-face technique, so this is the opposite, where a larger request is made first and then a second, and if it's refused, then you use a second smaller request. And that's actually usually the actual goal. Um, another common method of achieving compliance is the lowball technique. So the requester will get an initial commitment from the individual and then raise the cost of the commitment. And another technique is the that's not all technique. So an individual is made an offer, but before making a decision, it's told the deal is even better than she expected. So obedience is changing one's behavior in response to a direct order or expectation expressed by an authority figure while compliance deals with requests made by people without actual authority over an individual. And one of the notable obedience experiment series was conducted by Stanley Milgram, who claimed to be recruiting participants for a study to test the effects of punishment on learning behavior. There's a teacher or a learner, but the learner was actually a paid actor, and they were going to use um, shock administration. And as the learners acted more and more uncomfortable, the teachers became less willing to increase the shock voltage. And by using increasingly demanding language, the researchers were able to get 65% of the participants to administer shocks to a maximum of 450 volts, even if they showed discomfort. Um, so now we'll move on to attitudes and behavior. So social cognition focuses on the ways in which people think about others and how these ideas impact behavior. An attitude is the expression of positive or negative feeling toward a person, place, thing, or scenario. They develop from experiences with others who affect our opinions and behaviors. The components of attitude include affective, behavioral, and cognition, so ABC. Affective component refers to the way a person feels towards something and is the emotional component. The behavioral component is the way the person acts with respect to something, and the cognitive component is the way an individual thinks about something, which is usually the justification for the other two. The functional attitudes theory states that attitudes serve four functions, knowledge, ego expression, adaptation, and ego defense. 
Knowledge function can be how attitudes help provide organization to thoughts and experiences, and knowing the attitudes of others help to predict their behavior. Attitudes facilitate being ego-expressive, allowing us to communicate and solidify our self-identity. Adaptive attitude is the idea that express socially acceptable attitudes will lead to acceptance, and attitudes are ego-defensive if they protect our self-esteem or justify actions that we know are wrong. Learning theory posits that attitudes are developed through different forms of learning, so like direct contact with the object of an attitude can influence attitude towards that object, and direct instruction from others can also influence attitudes, and it can be influenced by others' attitudes, and they may be formed through classical conditioning, operant conditioning, or observational learning. The elaboration likelihood model is a theory of attitude formation and attitude change that separates individuals on a continuum based on how they process persuasive information. Um, so there's one extreme that has people who elaborate extensively, so people who think deeply about information, scrutinize it, its meaning and purpose, and draw conclusions or make decisions based on this analysis. This is central root processing, and then when an attempt to influence attitudes uses information that appeals to central root processing, this attempt is said to be using the central root persuasion. Um, at the other extreme are those who do not elaborate and focus instead on superficial details like the appearance of the person delivering the argument, catchphrases and slogans, credibility. This is known as peripheral root processing, and the person who uses this is using peripheral root persuasion. And social cognitive theory postulates that people learn how to behave and shape attitudes by observing the behaviors of others. So behavior is not learned by trial and error, but develops through direct observation and replication of the actions of others. This learning is influenced by personal factors and the environment in which the behavior is observed. And these three factors, behavioral Behavior, personal factors, and environment are not independent, but influence each other. So, I think that's it, and we're going to go ahead and jump into content summary. So there's group psychology, so social facilitation describes the tendency of people to perform at different levels based on the fact that others are around. De-individuation is a loss of self-awareness in large groups, which can lead to drastic changes in behavior. Bystander effect describes the observation that when in a group, individuals are less likely to respond to a person in need. Peer pressure refers to the social influence placed on individuals by others there they consider equals. Group decision thinking may differ from individual decision making, so group polarization is the tendency toward making decisions in a group that are more extreme than the thoughts of the individual group members. Groupthink is a tendency for groups to make decisions based on ideas and solutions that arise within the group without considering outside ideas, so ethics may be disturbed as pressure is created to conform and remain loyal to the group. Culture describes the beliefs, ideas, behaviors, actions, and characteristics of a group of society or people. Um, assimilation is the process by which a group or individual's culture begins to melt into another culture. Multiculturalism refers, refers to the encouragement of multiple cultures within a community to enhance diversity, and subcultures refer to with people who within a culture who distinguish themselves from the primary culture to which they belong. Then there is socialization, which is the process of developing and spreading norms, customs, and beliefs. Norms are what determine the boundaries of acceptable behavior within society. Agents of socialization include family, peers, school, religious affiliation, and other groups that promote socialization. Stigma is the extreme disapproval or dislike of a person in a group based on perceived differences from the rest of society. Deviance refers to any violation of norms, rules, or expectations within a society. Conformity is changing beliefs or behaviors in order to fit into a group or society. Compliance occurs when individuals change their behavior based on the request of others. Methods of gaining compliance include the foot-in-the-door technique, door-in-the-face technique, global technique, and that's-not-all technique. And obedience is a change in behavior based on a command from someone seen as an authority figure. Then we have attitudes, which are tendencies toward expression of positive or negative feelings or evaluations of something. 
These are affective, behavioral, and com cognitive components to attitudes. Functional attitudes theory states there are four functional areas of attitudes that serve individuals in life, knowledge, ego expression, adaptability, and ego defense. Learning theory states that attitudes are developed through forms of learning, direct contact, direct interaction, direct instruction, and conditioning. The elaboration likelihood model states that attitudes are formed and changed through different routes of information processing based on the degree of elaboration, so central root processing and peripheral root processing. And social cognitive theory states that attitudes are formed through observation of behavior, personal factors, and environment. So catch you in the next one on social interaction.